Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. We are so glad you're here with us today on this episode of Preserving Families. We're grateful for those of you who listen and participate, and thank you for your feedback. On our last episode, we talked about expectations in marriage. And today we're going we're gonna to expand on that a little bit as we talk more about marital needs. But let's just stop for a minute and talk about why marriage is so important. You know, years ago, Brent Barlow, a great BYU professor, quoted Cicero in saying that marriage is the first bond of society. Yeah. And in the proclamation, the family, the family proclamation, right. I love the quote that says marriage between man and woman is essential to his eternal plan for many reasons. You know, I mean, obviously it's important to the plan of salvation, but it's important to our society having strong marriages. It's important to our economy. It's even. important to our economy. It's important in our church. It's important in each of our individual families because we know when there's struggle and strife in a marriage between a husband and wife, that that ripples out into the family. And so we have got to strengthen our marriages and protect our marriages. Right. And so, you know, often as the marriage goes, so goes the family, so goes society. It would be hard to have a stronger family or a society than you have marriage. And that's why marriage is so crucial. And we want couples to be happy in their marriages. And so often when I meet with couples in our counseling work, one of the things that we'll land on is meeting marital needs. And I will tell them that, look, this is so crucial because if needs are being met in the marriage relationship, then couples are happy, they're fulfilled, they're satisfied. And, and if needs aren't, this is where couples just live in constant frustration and what, sometimes anger. Resentment, unhappiness. Right. Like there's probably nothing more miserable than living in an unhappy marriage. Right. And I know a lot of times people like to say that, you know, our happiness is completely dependent upon ourselves. We can't let our happiness... Uh, be conditioned upon a spouse, but I just don't believe that all the time. Of course, if you're in an unhappy marriage and life stinks because of your your married life, you're going to stink at work. You're going to stink in, as as a parent. You know, I mean, it just it does affect everything. And so, let's lay some doctrinal foundations here for what we want to do first. I love that in the gospel framework are all the answers. You know, years ago, Elder Holland said. All solutions are gospel solutions, and I totally believe that. And I love that in our scriptures, we are taught over and over again in different places the importance of kindness and sensitivity in marriage. Here's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. We don't use the word benevolent much today. But it really means kindness, you know, that if we're exercising kindness, we learn about kindness our whole life in a gospel framework, but where we really need to apply it first is in our, in our marriages and families. Another favorite verse of mine is in Ephesians chapter 4. First it says to let no corrupt communication proceed forth out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And in other words, we say things that build, that strengthen, that edify. But also in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. 
we talk a lot about charity, you know, in Sunday school, Relief Society, whatever. But right. I think it re in the the main place it needs to happen is in our marriages and in our families. So charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. All those things are just a totally applied to marriage. You know, when we are charitable and we are patient and kind <laughs> and right. give each other the benefit of the doubt. I think that's just such an important scripture and teaching in our marriages. Well, I love what you said on the benefit of the doubt, because here's another Elder Holland statement that I love. But he said that uh, when it comes to our loved ones in our families, that we should think the best of each other, he said, and then assume the good and doubt the bad. I think if I did that as a parent, I'd be an all-star, right? If I can, <laughs> if I can master that. Here's another one in Ephesians chapter five, uh, the idea that Christ taught, that Paul taught, that husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. You know, to me, that that principle there is just the principle of sacrifice—to love someone else more than you love yourself. You know, if we're really practicing Christ-like attributes. You know, we would want to make sacrifices for our spouse, for their for their welfare and happiness. It's interesting because in, you know, in academics, you're probably not going to hear words like charity and maybe not even kindness, but a buzzword of late has been generosity. And there's been a lot of research done on generosity. And it's interesting. Another thing about academic research, sometimes the studies that are being cranked out are just really obvious. They're, they just make sense. And for example, in this research, what are they finding? That, that couples who are kind to each other, uh, that practice, we'll say, benevolence, using that New Testament word, but that are, happier, that are happier, right? In oh, fact, imagine in, that. <laughs> isn't that kind of crazy? Let me, let me read this uh, summary of this research study. The benefits of generosity were particularly pronounced among couples with children. Among the parents who posted above average scores, for marital generosity, 50% reported being very happy together. And among those with lower generosity scores, only 14% claimed to be happy. And so the principle that we're trying to share is this principle of loving someone else more than yourself, kindness, charity, being in tune to the needs of a, of a spouse. I like that word generosity because it kind of, to me, kind of almost is like a gift giving or a money kind of element to it as I think about generosity. Being generous. Right? Yeah. But it could be generous with our time, generous with our comments, generous with our expressions of love. Yeah. All those right. things kind of that we gift to our spouse is kind of when I think of the word generous or generosity. I think that's a great insight. So once again, in our last podcast, we talked about, or at least two podcasts ago, we talked about marital expectations. And now as we, as we talk about marital needs, there may be some confusion on, wait, what's the difference between a need and an expectation? Yeah, so Dr. Jessica Higgins kind of lays it out. She says, expectations are hopes and beliefs that are focused on the future and may or may not be realistic, yeah. where a need is something that is necessary for healthy relating and living. So needs are more, kind of have to have that one, yeah, right? Or yeah, yeah. Are you, are you're going to miss out on something. Expectations are our dreams and kind of fantasies of what things should look like. Yeah. And another author explained it this way. She said, I believe our needs are what keep us sane, healthy, and preserve our integrity. Whereas expectations come from an idealized version of a person or a situation. 
embodied by the word should. So our partner should behave in a certain way. Life should be easier. The weather should be nicer this time of year. So it's kind of like a fantasy that we wish. Yeah. Where once again, needs more necessary, right? I mean, you're just not going to be happy if they're not met. And so once again, with those unmet needs in a marriage, couples will live in frustration, anger, and resentment. And often will find other avenues to have their their needs met. Often, if needs aren't met, a spouse may find another person that will meet that need. And, and now we get into this idea of emotional affairs, emotional connections with, with those of the opposite sex. Sometimes those affairs can become physical. Um, so, for example, if a wife doesn't feel that her need for conversation or praise or physical affection is met, she may find someone else that can provide that. Or if a husband doesn't feel that his need for, let's say, recreational companionship or intimacy or, or admir- admiration aren't met, that he may find someone else who will meet those needs. So in my, in my counseling work, uh, we've seen many couples over the years who have engaged in extramarital affairs because just emotional needs uh, were actually starting to be met by someone else. So let me share with you that it's my belief that what I just described is more uh, it's it's more it's rare okay it's it's just not going to happen all the time I don't want to make it sound like that everyone out there is just having affairs if their needs aren't met but here's what I see more and that's that if a need isn't met we tend to find our uh, avenues for our needs to be met in other ways you know for example a, a young women's leader can not have her needs met at home and so by her husband and so what does she do she really throws herself in her church work, you know, or a husband who doesn't have his needs met by his wife may really engage more in some kind of recreational hobby, or now he's working 75 hours a week, you know, and so that I feel is a little bit more common, but it's the same principle, right? That we're, we're finding ways to have our needs met in in other avenues or areas of focus. Yeah, and I've noticed in women that women will, you know, cling to friend groups or girls' night out or just anything to go get their emotional tank filled up. Or right. they'll find, you know, volunteer projects and, you know, go all out. Or they'll join a gym and, mm-hmm. you know, be all in. So I've seen all the different kinds of ways that people do go outside their marriage to get their needs met if they're not getting it at home. Yeah. I remember years ago, I saw a couple in uh, in counseling. If I remember right, they'd been married for about 10 years. They had four daughters. The husband was just an avid outdoorsman. He loved to hunt and fish. He was skilled at bow hunting. He loved to bow hunt. And so one of the needs he had with his wife was recreational companionship. He wanted her to join with him in this bow hunting thing, but she was not outdoorsy at all. I mean, she was definitely an indoor girl, you know, if you want to say it that way. Uh, and she just had no interest in hunting or fishing or doing anything like that. And it got to the point where he said, honey, just come with me. You don't have to hunt. You don't have to kill a deer or an elk or anything. But just I would just love it if you were with me. And she just refused. She said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so I found out later in our counseling sessions that he did begin to have an affair. And who was his affair with? It was a woman that he met at the archery range who loved bow hunting. And so here, here was that need for him of recreational companionship not being met and finds a very specific way to, to have his need met. And that marriage ended in divorce, as you could imagine, a few months after that. So that just highlights the, the importance and how crucial it is to meet needs in a marriage, you know, 
because those needs are going to help us to be happy and fulfilled, but also to stay connected to each other. And so a lot of you have heard of, of the love bank, and I know it's just metaphoric. It's just a, it's just a, a different way to look at things, uh, to look at love. But we all have a, a metaphoric account, right, with every person that we have a relationship with. And we're usually either making deposits or withdrawals in every interaction. So especially in a marriage relationship or in families, we're making deposits or withdrawals. And, uh, and this is a crucial concept because withdrawals can really suck the life out of a marriage. Yeah, Gary Smalley said a withdrawal is anything sad or negative, anything that drains energy from your mate. It's a harsh word, a broken promise, being ignored, being hurt, being controlled. It could be any of those things. Yeah. The list could be long. Some withdrawals differ from temperament to temperament. Something perceived as a withdrawal for one person might be a deposit for another person, Yeah, which is quite interesting. But too much control or being absent too much physically or emotionally are always major withdrawals, he says. Right. Right. So I know in our marriage that because raising eight children, you were in school for 13 years, busy 15. church callings, 15 years, <laughs> having busy church callings. I've had busy church callings. You know, sometimes that time has been a real withdrawal for me because time is my love language. And so I have felt, you know, I have felt those withdrawals just because lack of time that we've, you know. I, yeah. And I remember one, I remember one time as I think of you know, recreational companionship is something that I've I've kind of sought after. And I remember not even long ago coming home and saying, Janie, I have an awesome idea. I know what we can do together. We're going to get bikes. We're going to ride all over the place on our bikes. And I remember you just shaking your head and going, <laughs> no, nah, that's not going to happen. And I remember taking that so personal. And then you kind of explained it. And you're like, actually, I just hate riding up hills, right? We, so- we live on a hill. And that, that makes no sense. We'd have to, like, haul our bikes to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> well, now we can get these uh, awesome uh, motorized yeah, bikes. Yeah, give me an e-bike and I'm with you. <laughs> e-bikes and we're in, right? And so, yeah, we have we a lot of those. We all have these, right? We all have these withdrawals. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then a deposit. And by the way, Gary Smalley was just a great Christian marriage and family therapist. I love reading his material. But he said a deposit... Is anything security producing, anything positive, anything that gives your mate energy, a gentle touch, a listening ear, a verbalized I love you, a fun shared experience. And then he makes it clear that our temperament, our gender, our birth order, how about our personality type? How about the way that that day is going? I mean, who knows what's going on just that day? But all of those things could really factor in and affect what a deposit is for a person. He gives this example of going for long walks in the woods with a spouse may energize an introvert in the same same way a house full of holiday company would energize an extrovert. <laughs> I always kind of think of us, Janie, and that a little bit where, you know, if I came home and you had sent me a text message and said, hey, hope you don't mind, but I've ordered steak and lobster and your favorite drink and I've invited 25 of your favorite people over, and you're going to watch BYU highlights all night long, <laughs> the greatest hits in BYU history, I would be like, oh my gosh, this is like incredible. But I think if I texted you and said, hey, I've invited 25 people over tonight without any warning, right? Uh, you would go, okay, that's not going to be real fun for me, especially if it's <laughs> spur of the moment. not a deposit. <laughs> yeah, especially spur of the moment, right? Anyway, and so, and so when I think of deposits, and I can share one with you, but I remember... There was a time in our life where I was working two jobs, maybe three, and part of it was at a psychiatric hospital. 
And that in, in, involved me being on a shift that went from 3 to 11. And then from 11 p.m. until 7 a.m. I was on call, which meant going out, you know, going out uh, several times during the middle of the night to do psychiatric evaluations on people and, and in emergency rooms. And I just remember a couple things. One, I would come home sometimes late at night and there was a awesome plate of food that you had left for me. And I loved that. It was like you were saying, hey, we, we're with you. Uh, we're thinking of you. And I, <laughs> I do remember there was a couple times I would come home and there wasn't any. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, but then you gave me this awesome quote by like Ralph Waldo Emerson or, or someone like that about, you know, that the heights of great men both reached and kept were not obtained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. And that was like the greatest thing. That was the greatest deposit of my life at that point. You had totally appreciated all that I was doing, and I was so grateful for that. Still am, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. And so I know deposits that you make for me all the time is you call me several times throughout the day to check in and say, how was that? How'd it go? What are you up to? And and that, that means a lot. So Yeah. And once again, some of these deposits are just, it, that's so easy. That's, as Elder Holland said, that's low cost, you know. Now, if we go back to the love bank for a minute, we're talking about deposits and withdrawals. We're going to plug John Gottman here in here to our math equation. Would everyone knows that a relationship is going to thrive and be successful if we're making more deposits than withdrawals. Now, he talked about a five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions. And I think that same principle can apply to deposits and withdrawals. If there are five deposits to every one withdrawal, I believe that that relationship is going to be healthy and it's going to thrive. And not only does that work in marriage, it works in parenting as well. So let's let's dig in a little bit deeper to these needs. And maybe we can share an experience that we had early on in our marriage, but we lived in an awesome ward in uh, in Mesa, Arizona, years ago, and our bishop was just concerned about marriages. He was a very in tune bishop, and he was worried about marriages. And so I think he went out and bought like ten or twelve copies of Willard Harley's book, His Needs, Her Needs. And the directions were simple. He pa- he passed these books out to members of the ward and said, "Look, I want you to read this book as a couple. We want you to read it together, and then when you're done, give it to your neighbor and let them read it." And I remember reading that book, and it was very eye-opening. I was so grateful that he had given us that assignment, and it really did help and help strengthen our marriage. Yeah, and I think because as we as a brand-new couple, <laughs> you know, we were realizing that, whoa, men and women really do see things in a different view, and we have different needs. And so that was really a good thing for us to start off our marriage. But in that book, Willard Harley said, a man can have the best intentions to meet his wife's needs, but if he thinks her needs are similar to his own— he will fail miserably. <laughs> right. And I think this is where, you know, the love languages come in a lot and things like that. But we really need to understand each other's needs. And be willing to meet those needs. You know, I, and this reminds me of a probably my very first counseling case years ago, once again in Arizona, but it was a situation where a couple had bought a home. They probably had extended themselves a little much. So the husband was working two jobs and his wife just wasn't really a housekeeper. And, you know, he couldn't really keep house because he worked so much. I mean, he was getting home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night from his second job. But the house was just really in disarray, you know. And and he kept urging his wife, could you just help me with this? Could you just maybe clean up a little bit? The kitchen was 
quite messy and, and there was nowhere to sit at the kitchen table to eat dinner. And, and he asked her repeatedly if there was anything that she could do and what could he do to help, but she was just not interested and never did even try, you know, to meet that need that he had for, for order in his home. And Yikes. So yeah, it sounds like he just would stay <laughs> at work late and just avoid the situation altogether. Yeah, completely. So Matt Townsend, and many of you have probably listened to Matt. He's wonderful. He kind of talks about what we would probably call universal needs, the needs that most husbands and wives have in a marriage relationship. He uses the acronym STARVED, S-T-A-R-V-E-D. And the first need that he talks about is safety. You know, just what? How do you? How would you explain that? You know, just kind of the need to feel physically safe, emotionally safe, mentally safe, all those spiritually right. safe in your safe in your marriage that you can talk about all those things that you can that your comments land on safe ground. You right. know, that you can talk about anything. The second one is trust, and I, I always love what President McKay said that it's better to be trusted than to be loved. Uh, but we've got to be able to trust each other. Today we live in a world where, that, where that's harder and harder to do. Yeah, and I think trust with cell phones. You know, I think trust on trusting our spouses on computers, or we know where they're going, and that we can trust what they're doing and who they're with. And yeah. I think I think trust is a big deal these days. Right, a huge, huge. Number three is appreciation. I just think of that—the uh, idea of just sharing compliments, sharing praise, expressing appreciation. Sometimes we take each other for granted so much so that on the very simplest of things, we're just not expressing appreciation. And many people in relationships, many couples, many husbands and wives, I I believe today feel very unappreciated for the hard work, for the effort that they're putting into work and family and relationships. And they just need to hear that. So R is for respect. And respect is valuing each other's opinions, our ideas, the things that we're interested in, the our right. lives, you know, treating yeah. each other with kindness, with that benevolence that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I just listened to Matt Townsend tell a story, speaking of him, uh, about respect. And he just, he shared the experience of a husband who put the house up for sale and the wife didn't know anything about it. She learned about it when she drove up in the driveway, but he was using that to make that that point of a, a, a husband who just didn't really respect his wife's opinions or her beliefs mm. or didn't seek her feedback, you know. Number five is validation. I love this dictionary definition of to validate is recognition or affirmation that a person or their feelings or opinions are valid or worthwhile. It's kind of the opposite of that respect example that we were giving. But to be able to value what our spouse has to say, their contribution to whatever the experiences are we're going through in life is crucial to a happy marriage. E is encouragement. Encouragement, I think we need to be each other's biggest cheerleaders, our biggest fans for each other, for our spouse, to cheer them on, to push each other to be our best selves and just meet our goals and yeah, our dreams. and Yeah, help each other get to where we'd want to be. Right. And then the last one is dedication. Obviously, that's dedication to each other. It's commitment to each other. But it's also could be commitment to our values, our beliefs, our family. And those are those, these are the universal needs. I love that. Now let's transition back to Harley's list. Willard Harley's list from his book that was published in the mid-1980s is probably more, you know, gender-centric, so to speak, meaning that uh, here are the needs of men and then here are the needs of women and there can't really be any crossing over. And over the years of my counseling practice, one of the things I've learned is I've had a lot of women say of their husband's needs, hey, I need that. 
And a lot of husbands of their wives need saying, hey, I, I really need that. And so let, let us identify some of these needs. And once again, not necessarily gender specific. These needs can be for men or women. You know, as we get into these specific needs for a minute, I'm reminded of something that I actually read many years ago in a book by John Gray, where he said that for men, that most men in marriage need to be needed. And he said, and most women in marriage need to be cherished. And I have gone over that concept with so many couples over the years. And almost universally, they'll say, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, men want to be needed. We want to be able to fix things, help, you know, solve problems. And women want to be cherished, right? Yeah. And the word cherish means to protect and care for someone lovingly. I love that definition. Or to hold something dear or to keep in your mind or in your heart. Right. I've never met a a woman in 30 years of counseling who have said, I do not want to be cherished. (laughs) Yes, I I think we all do. Men and women, right, need to be cherished. (laughs) Sure. But some other needs that that Willard Harley talked about, I think, are healthy conversation. You talked about recreational companionship earlier on. Um, Affection, time together, sexual fulfillment. Some people love gifts and notes and attention that way. Um, Acts of service. Some of those love language things also. Right. Love language things. Domestic support, which can, you know, consist of, you know, how the house is kept. Uh, Financial security, you know, physical attraction. Uh, To be honest and open, a, a need that's becoming more and more pressing in the world today with so much sexual temptation. Family commitment. And like you said, Janie, a minute ago, you know, some of those love language type, you know, of, of concepts like kind words, physical touch, listening and nurturing. Now, once again, that list is not comprehensive. Everyone's going to have to find uh, what, what, you know, what their own personal needs are. And, and once again, like we said last time, if you'll email us at preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com, we will send you a list of, of some of those needs. But once again, maybe some of those uh, words or concepts that we mentioned will spur you on to think, okay, maybe I don't need that exactly, but there's something like that that I need and, and to identify those. So let's talk about how to identify marital needs. And first, it starts with you. Of course, you want to discover your spouse's needs, but to start, you make your list. You come up with your needs. And we don't want to have a list of 30 things, okay? That's never going to happen. Let's have a list of five to seven things that you probably need from your spouse in order to be happy, fulfilled, and satisfied in the marriage relationship. Second, we need to identify what I would call the deposits that make that need up. So for example, if I have a need for time together, I'm going to identify three. Three is just a great magic number to work with. I'm I'm going to identify three things that my spouse can do to meet that need of time together. If my need is affection, I'm going to give my spouse three suggestions on how I love when you show me affection like this. I like it when you scratch my head. I like it when you come and sit next to me and cuddle. I like it when you initiate affection, you know. And so we're going to, you know, identify those deposits. Number three, once we've created the list, and once again, you have five to seven needs, and three specific behaviors for each one of those needs, then you're going to share the list with each other. And then finally, I call this, now it's time to go to work. And the best way to approach this, I think, 
is once again, no one can work on five to seven needs at the same time. What we do is we work on one. And so this week, here's the need that we need to work on for myself, you know, for my spouse. We're going to be working on this need. So I think the most effective way to approach this idea of meeting each other's needs is kind of with this principle of Lord is it I. Or in other words, we don't want a husband saying to a wife, honey, you never do this for me, or uh, here's what I think you need to work on. Uh, that That's just not an effective way to do it. How about the principle of once again, uh, Lord is it I. Honey, what do you need me to work on this week? What is a need that you need to be met that I can work on? So a wife could say to her husband, what's one of your needs that I can work on this week that would strengthen our relationship? A husband could say to his wife the same thing. Honey, what's one marital need that you have that I could go to work on for this week? And then we answer those questions and we go to work. And it works out really well when we approach it that way versus here's what I need you to do for me. Or here's what you never do. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Then we share these with each other and that can just be done in a quick couples meeting or on a date night or across the table at dinner one night and... We right. can share those and get a game plan going. <laughs> go, go for a walk and talk about it. Exactly. You know, this idea of meeting each other's needs and being aware of each other's needs is so crucial, as we've mentioned, to happiness and fulfillment in marriage relationships. I love the gospel principle taught by Victor L. Brown many years ago that only if you sacrifice for a cause will you love it. The way that we learn to love is by making sacrifices. And often by meeting the needs of our spouse, we're making a sacrifice because oftentimes those needs aren't our own. You know, we have the golden rule that we talk about all the time, you know, to do unto others or to treat others as you want to be treated. I've always kind of thought of the platinum rule to borrow something from the music industry. When something goes platinum, that's the greatest honor you can ever have. But it's found in Matthew 25, 40, that inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Or in other words, it's not enough to treat someone how we want to be treated. We should treat everyone as if they were the Savior. That would change so many things in our lives and in our marriages. It really would. Can you imagine what the divorce rate would be if husbands and wives treated their spouse as if the Savior Like, I think it would put divorce courts out of business. It would put you out of business. You wouldn't have a marriage counseling practice anymore. I don't think I would. (laughs) Um, President Gordon B. Hinckley taught, I am satisfied that a happy marriage is not so much a matter of romance as it is an anxious concern for the comfort and well-being of one's companion. Selfishness is the antithesis of love. Yeah. Love that quote. It's a great statement. You know, just to conclude today, I've always been impressed with this story. It was told by Elder Yoshiko Kikuchi back in the 1980s in General Conference. And as I've spent more time in my life researching some of the great saints of the South Pacific, it's just one of those great and powerful stories. Uh, The story is of Jonathan Napella and his wife Kitty, who were Hawaiian converts to the church, baptized by Elder George Q. Cannon. It was 1873, and Kitty, the wife of Jonathan, contracted leprosy. Elder Kikuchi wrote that she was a beautiful and noble woman in the early days of the church in Hawaii. Today, modern medical knowledge has advanced so that this disease is no longer fatal, but at the time, there was no cure for this dreadful disease. And in order to prevent the spreading of the disease, once you contracted it, you were forced to live on, on one of the seashores in the leper colony in Molokai. The lepers were taken there by boat. The sailors were so afraid of the disease that they 
often pushed the patients into the sea, forcing them to swim to shore. Because his wife had to go to Kalapapa, the leper colony, Jonathan too wanted to go. He took her by the hand and they went there together. Why would he do this? Because he loved her so much. And he knew that life is eternal and that love is eternal, even through days of sickness and health. History records that this valiant giant of a man worked in the leper colony and fought to obtain government assistance for the lepers to have a more comfortable place to live. He was a giant in the pure love of Christ. This good brother, Jonathan Napella, Elder Kikuchi explains, later contracted leprosy and died even before his wife passed away. She followed him two years later. Husbands, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Now, I know that story sounds really, really dramatic, but I love the concept, once again, of sacrifice. That's what we're teaching here. Do we really love someone else more than we love ourselves? Because if we do, then we'll find ways to meet their needs, to understand what their needs are, and to go to work and to strive to do all that we can to help our spouse to be happy and fulfilled in the marriage relationship. Well, it's been wonderful being with you during this episode and would now invite you as we talk about LDS stands for let's do something. Let's do something. And a great way to begin is to identify your own needs and to have your spouse identify their needs, to recognize and to identify the deposits that constitute those needs, and then to go to work in meeting those needs. And this week, one simple question that could be asked is uh, to a spouse is, honey, what is it that I could do this week to meet one of your needs? What is it, what is it that you need from me? It's a great way. It's simple. It's just one small thing that can make all the difference in the world. And once again, if you're interested, you could email us at preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com, and we will send you a document that will help you to identify and, uh, and recognize your own needs and for your spouse to do the same and then to visit with each other and to uh, discuss those needs together and then once again go to work in meeting those needs. We've enjoyed our time with you today, and until next time, we hope you have a wonderful week.